check. All right. How many likes technology? <laughs> Amen. We're glad to be in the house of God this this morning. Thank you so much for being with us uh, this uh, this Sunday morning. We want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to minister in our services today, our Sunday school class, our praise team, our Sunday morning worship. We want to ask God just to move and minister uh, to the hearts and lives that's connected, those that are in-house and live feet alike. Thank you for being here. If you have a prayer request, text it to the number listed on the screen. If you're in-house and you have a prayer request, let it be known by lifting your hand. God knows each one. Let's go to God in prayer and ask God to minister today. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. want to thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Thank you for this opportunity that you've allowed us to come to worship and praise you. Father, I pray today that you'll move and minister to the hearts and lives of each one that is connected to our, ch our church body, our church family, whether they're in-house or on live feed. Father, I pray that you'll move in their hearts and lives today. Open the windows of heaven and pour out an anointing and a blessing upon their, their lives. God, I pray that you'll just continue to minister in a mighty way, and I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name, amen and amen. This morning as we're looking at our Sunday school lesson today, remember if you're on live feed, you can follow along on our website at cvcog.church. Uh, let's, let's take a look at our lesson today. We're going to be looking at God's created purpose. God has created life, God has created man, and everything that God created was created for God's purpose. God has a good purpose for every aspect of creation. This morning we're going to take a look and we're going to explore God's purpose for creation and how that we need to live according to the purpose that God has for us. God has created each one of us for a purpose. Uh, and I've made mention, I've joked about this. God didn't create me to be a mechanic. There's some people that God gave skill sets and God gave the ability to do certain things. And we need to use what God has given to us for the purpose that God has for us. Amen. This morning also, every person was created to have a personal relationship with God. Every person was created to have a personal relationship with God. And we need to build on that relationship. I think I mentioned it uh, Wednesday night. With that relationship has to be communication. If I walked into the house every day and I never talked to Sister Carrie, eventually she would enjoy that. I mean, she would not like that. She would come at me and she'd say, look, we got to talk. We got to have a conversation. We got to, uh, there's things that's going on, things that's happening. We need to talk. And so that's the thing that we need to understand in our lives is we need to have a relationship and communicate with God. And to that end, let's take a look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Take a look at what it says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. The invisible things of God has been created and they are seen by God's creation. God does not do anything by chance. The creation of the universe and everything that was done was a deliberate act on God's part. God spoke and things became into an existence. God spoke 
and things came into existence. Not only did God create the universe into existence, but He upholds and sustains that universe. He is responsible for every aspect of the universe. Can you imagine how quickly He did everything and how it would fall apart if God was not at the realm? I know that some have said that they that their workplace would fall apart if it was not for them. I've heard some that have said that uh, they do this particular job at their workplace, and if they wasn't there, it would not work properly. I've heard people say that. and But the thing about it is we need to know that we are replaceable. We're replaceable. If this piano does not work, it's replaceable. My microphone did not work. I got another one. It's replaceable. But, and we are replaceable. I was talking to a couple of our, those on our leadership team concerning this coming Wednesday, and we'll mention that here uh, in Sunday morning. But one of them said something, said everything has been established and been uh, set in the church to where that, like for example, if, if somebody in the praise team is not here, we have a, someone to step in. If Sister Carrie's not able to lead the music, which happened a couple of weeks ago, then guess what? People stepped in and things kept going on. Uh, we have people for the sound and we have people for the tech. If somebody's not here, we're able to continue and function. It may mess up like this morning, but you know, hey, we're able to continue and function. If I'm not able to be here for whatever the reason may be, we have contingencies to where that the church can continue on. But what we must understand is if God is not in the helm of everything, it will fall apart. What God has chained, created brings glory to Him and His handiwork are seen everywhere. You look outside, it's rained this morning. You can look up in the sky and you can see a rainbow in the sky. You, you look on a bright, pretty, sunny day. Brother Larry's sitting out on the front porch and he's got the hummingbird feeders there. You see God's creation because I'm going to tell you something. I can't figure out how them hummingbirds flap them wings so fast and it looks like that they're still and they can sit there and drink, uh, drink that juice out of that hummingbird feeder. God has created, cre- created the universe and it is good. God maintains an active interest in what's going on in what he's created. He created you and I. God cre- has an interest in our lives. God created the sparrows and the lilies. Even the lack of hairs on my head, the tears that we've cried, and God has an interest in those. The facts here illustrate how God is interested in our lives. And we're going to take a look at that this morning. God did not give up on the human race. God created Adam and Eve. They fell. God allowed things to go on. Then God created Noah. Noah built the ark. God started everything over. The universe continues on. Mankind continues on. God sees that mankind cannot, uh, for lack of better terms, mankind can't follow instructions. So God created a better way when he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. God has created a better way. Amen. The only begotten son of God came to earth to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins and make salvation possible for all who believe in him. And so that's what God has done. God has created a better way. Let's take a look this morning 
at the creation declares God's glory. Creation declares God's glory. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with us to Psalms chapter 19, verses 1 through 14. We're going to read several scriptures here this morning. Let's take a look, starting in verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals the knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose, vo- whose voice is not heard. Verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Let's take a look this morning. The psalmist is talking to us this morning about the creation that God has made. God, and God shows God to be the creator of the heaven. The psalmist is showing us God is the creator of the heavens. It was by his wisdom and power that the great and glorious works of the creation were formed. We see in verse 1 where it says, The work of the hands of God has created all things. So let's take a look at uh, something from the French Revolution. Someone said one day, I will have all your steeples pulled down, that you may no longer have any object by which to remind you of your superstitions. But, the the peasant replied, you cannot help leaving us the stars in the heavens. What people need to understand is this, God is not about this building here. This building could be destroyed by tornado or by fire. This building, as in this, uh, this uh, uh, what we just read, got, the government could come in and, and lock the doors and not allow us to come into this building. This building is not about us worshiping God. It is about all that God has done for us. We need to thank God for what He's done and thank Him for what He's going to continue to do. We're reminded about what God has done every morning. I don't know about you, but I got up this morning. I was able to take a deep breath, get up on my feet, and go about my day. I know that God has created me and He has an interest in my life. The ongoing orderly flow from day to night, night to day, shows the glory of God. I know that there's some places on earth where the the sun is up for 24, 24, uh, 24 to 36 to 48 hours, and then it rests. And then they're in night for that. You go to Alaska and you see these things. But I'm glad to know right here with Alabama, we have certain hours of sun, certain hours of the moon. Day to night, night to day, everything follows in the pattern that God has given to us. God has things set on purpose. Each day and each night has its own message concerning the wisdom, the power, and the goodness of who God is in our lives. One day after another, God's handiwork is shown everywhere we look. In the psalmist that we've read, the scriptures, he he speaks of God pitching a tent in the sky for the sun. God also lets us to tend the sheep under an open sky. In other words, God lets us do the work that we're needing to do 
And we have that ability because God has given it to us. Using a figurative language, David tells us in verse 5, he says this, It's like a champion rejoicing to the, its run of its course. What we need to understand is everything we do needs to be for the glory of God. Let's take a look on. Go down to verse 7 and then verse 9. God speaks of the law. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Then skip on down to verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Together. The guidance given by the Word of God is perfect, giving new life to the soul. It's God's system whereby we come to a knowledge of God, how we're to live in the creation that God has given to us. Now, I told somebody the other day, and I'm not trying to make fun of anybody that does this, and I'm just telling you, you know, this is just andeology, I guess you could say. I know that there are some folks that... Um, Love nature a little too much, I guess is a good way of wording it. I'm not worshiping a tree. I'm not worshiping nature. But God has given us, so you go back into the book of Genesis, God has given us dominion, mankind dominion over nature, but it doesn't mean that we just get to destroy everything about it. We need to take care of what God has given to us. We need to use the things that God has given to us toward that we can continue to worship Him. It is reliable. God's Word is reliable. God's creation is reliable. And in that, it will not mislead anyone that trusts in the teachings of God. The Word is right and pure and gives us an insight for a joyful life. It, it offers us comfort. That the world can neither give nor take away. You know the thing about it is. Is God's given us this planet. There's a whole lot of things that mankind has done over the years. To destroy the creation that God's given to us. Now I'm not fixing to go out there and hug a tree. But I think that we need to take care of what God has given to us. The creation that God has given. We need to take care of. Why? Because this is what God has given to mankind. Creation is something that God has given to us. We need to respect God, respect His creation, revere God, and serve God in taking care of what God has given to us. Uh, you know, and I've heard, may have mentioned this a few Sunday schools ago, how that God has given animals for us to eat. And I'm, I'm not against hunting. I like people that go to hunt. We was talking about uh, deer meat just a little bit ago. I love a deer burger or deer steak or deer, deer jerky, things like that. But what I don't like about hunting is there's people that will go out, they'll shoot a deer, rabbit, squirt, whatever, and just leave it there. Now, I'm not talking about if it's somewhere you can't get. I'm talking about just shooting it just to, for the sake of shooting and then just leaving it there and not utilizing what God's given I think that that's a waste. 
just like I think if, if Sister Carrie fixes me a nice big juicy hamburger and it's sitting out there on the, t- on the counter and I just look at it and I'm like, hmm, and I go about my way and I don't eat that and it has to be thrown in the tr- You wouldn't find that around the Lambert household. We ain't going to waste it. Why? Because, number one, I like food. But number two, we need to, we need to, we need to use what God's given to us, and we don't need to waste those things. Why? Because it is what God's given. We need to have respect for God and utilize what God's given to us. Consider the value the psalmist put in the Word of God, what, what the psalmist puts on God, God's creation, and God's Word. He says that the Word of God is more desirable than gold, even the finest gold, the most valuable commodity in that part of the world and in our part today. The Word of God brings delight more than honey dripping from a honeycomb. By keeping and living by the principles of the Word of God, Believers will, will reap rich rewards in this life and in the life to come. To me, the greatest thing that has happened on earth is the rise of the human race. The story of human rise in the vision of what God has given is the story of what's been told in the Word of God. Now, we know that history repeats itself. So if we want to know what's fixing to happen next, we could go back to, to God's Word and we can see how things lined up and how things happen and we can compare that to where we're at today and we can see what's fixing to take place. What we must do is not a matter of who's in political power or anything like that, but what the Christians need to do is we need to get a hold of God and pray that God's will be done in our lives. Why? Because we need to have acceptable speech before God. I could get out and talk bad about those that's in any particular office or those that are serving in our nation, in our state, in our cities, but that's not going to do anything. Our speech needs to be acceptable to God. Take a look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we encourage people to come to Christ and allow Christ to be in their heart, in their lives, and ask them and tell them that they need to ask forgiveness of their sins, what we need to do is we need to not only do that, asking folks and encouraging folks, but we need to live that. By the way we speak, by the way way we walk, our actions, everything about us, we need to allow this verse to resonate in our lives. At At this point in David's life, as he was reading this, he was struggling in much the same manner until which many that we have witnessed to are struggling. Many come face to face with the majesty of who God is and the power of the Word of God. When, when they do that, man will plead to God not to punish us for the sins in our lives and those sins which we're not aware. Take a look at verse 12. 
What we need to do is we need to find victory in Jesus. If you'll go back and listen to Wednesday night's message, it's on podcast, YouTube, all of those avenues. You can find it on our website. Go back and look at this past Wednesday night's message, how that we need to pray and ask God to forgive us of our sins, even those sins that we do not know. Having seeking the help from God and that help to refrain from sinful acts, the psalmist David seeks God's aid in controlling the words that come out and the thoughts that are in his mind. David wants to entertain thoughts and speak the words that are good, holy, and pleasing unto God. He wants to understand the strength to accomplish what comes from God. God has a will for all of our lives. I've sat in the altar many a time praying with people, and, and people will say, oh, I've been called into the ministry. And automatically people think that is that is pulpit ministry. That is pastoral work. There are We talked about this one time. In a seven-day week, the pastor speaks to the church as a whole only three to four hours in an entire week. Now, I know that with social media, I'm able to send out prayer requests or, or text messages, and we're able to communicate back and forth. But as a whole, from the pulpit, only three to four hours a week. The greatest area of ministry is us, as the body of believers, going out to the highways and byways and bidding people to come to the house of God. God has given us a purpose. God has given us a mission. God has shown something in our lives. It's time that we start to use everything that God has given to us for the glory of God. Why? Because we was created to love God and to show the love of God. So let's take a look. First thing we're going to look at is what God requires. Let's look at Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. Take a look at what it says. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. God has called us to do something. And not only does God, has God called us to do something, God is requiring us to do these things. I come in contact with people all day long, all week long. And there are people that are going to poke and poke and poke and try to rile you up and cause you to do something that is going to destroy your witness. But what we've got to do is every one of us needs an anchor. The Word of God needs to be our anchor to hold us and to show us that God is requiring of us to do justice, to show the love and kindness of God, and to walk humbly before God. In this chapter, chapter 6 of Micah, the Lord brought an accusation against the people of Israel. Let's take a look. 
verse 1 and verse 2 of Micah chapter 6, God has declared that the people have been wrong in their attitudes. We don't like that word, do we? Wrong in their attitudes and in their actions towards God. God has reminded them in verse 3, God reminded the children of Israel that they had no reason to complain against God. And then finally in verse 4, we see that God brings them out of Egypt and leads them to the promised land. Now let's break that down for just, just a moment. Verse, remember in verse 3, we, are, we see that God reminds the children of Israel that they had no reason to complain against God. Many, let's, let's see why was the children of Israel walking around in the wilderness. Why was they lost? They didn't have a GPS system. They didn't stop at the BP gas station and ask for directions. They didn't get the map out of the glove compartment, uh, the, the glove box, and map it out before they got there. All of these things, but also to the fact that God, show, God told them the direction to go. God gave them the food to eat. God gave them everything they needed, but yet they still griped and grumbled to God. What we must understand is that when we're outside of the will of God, we have no reason to complain. When we're outside the will of God, God is not necessarily going to continue to bless and continue to multiply things in our lives. But when we're outside of the will of God, when our actions, our attitude, and the things of our lives are wrong, I'm going to tell you, that's one of the biggest things I believe Maybe I shouldn't say this, but this is one of the biggest things that I believe in the church world is many have a wrong attitude and they blame everything else on somebody else and they don't take responsibility for their own actions. And when we are stepping outside of the will of God by doing those things, having a wrong attitude, having the wrong actions towards God, we do not have a reason to blame God for why we're not being blessed. Because we've stepped away from God. Micah went before the Lord to ask what the people could do to find themselves in God's good graces one more time. God reminded Micah. He didn't want rituals. He wanted a relationship. God told Micah he didn't want rituals. He wanted a relationship. He wanted them to obey God out of the desires of their heart because they wanted to. Not because a ritual told them to do any certain thing. God names three things that he expected and told Micah three things that he expected of the children of Israel. They're found in verse 8. They were to do what is right. They are to show the love and kindness to others. And they are to live humbly before God. There are a lot of times many Christians, many church people need to be knocked off of their high horse and start to live right before God. We don't need to talk hateful. 
We don't need to talk mean to people that we feel are not living right. All we can do is be a witness to them and live humbly before God and allow God to do everything else. First, God expects His people to do the right thing. God expects us to do the right thing. We are to treat people fairly regardless of... Does does this sound familiar? We are to treat people fairly regardless of their status, their employer, their color, their race, their origin, anything about their lives, we are to treat people right regardless of those things. This is something I believe, and a lot of those that have been following some things that's going on in the church of God, Concerning our university in Cleveland. This, I believe, is going to speak to each one. We're to treat people right regardless of their lifestyle that they live. Regardless of how they live. But it does not mean that I accept the sin that's in their lives. We treat people right and treat people fairly. However, I've told people this before. If you're a thief and you come into this church I will, and I speak and preach against stealing, don't get mad. There are many people that live a wrong lifestyle. I don't want it blatantly thrown in my face. But we're also supposed to treat them in a right way. We're not to belittle them. We have a duty to treat them right regardless of their station in life. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12 tells us, Jesus says, Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. In other words, do to, do to others how you would treat others how you would like them to treat you. What we've got to understand is we must show the loving kindness towards everybody that we come in contact with. We've got to love them and diligently practice compassion and kindness towards others. Kindness and compassion, mercy towards others should be a natural thing in our lives. Now, if someone that is a thief tries to teach my daughter how to steal... This is daddy talking, not Pastor Andy. (laughs) Somebody tries to teach my daughter how to steal, my foot is going to squish that. Every daddy daddy in here agreed with me, right? But what we've got to do is we still show the loving kindness of God. It may be close and it may be far away. We still need to show the loving kindness of who God is. And sometimes it is walking away That what shows that? The first two requirements God makes of His people in this verse verse has to do with others. The third requirement speaks of our relationship to God. So we've talked about God expecting us to do the right thing. We've talked about how that God expects us to show the loving kindness towards those that we come in contact with. Strangers. And those that we know alike. 
The third thing that we're looking at this morning is this. Our relationship with God. We need to walk humbly before God. There are so many today in the church world, and I'm going to speak of pastors, evangelists, and ministers all alike. There are many that they step behind a pulpit, they preach a couple of times, People get feel a little goosebump on the back of their head. Somebody raises their hand and somebody else says amen. And the, and the preacher or pastor or evangelist, they think, I've arrived. But what we've got to understand is in all of those things, we still, regardless of all of that, we still have got to walk humbly before God. To walk humbly is to walk in obedience before Him. We have got to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and don't lean on our own understanding. Because I'm going to tell you something. Remember that example I showed just a moment, I told a moment ago? Somebody wants to teach my daughter how to steal. Daddy wants to come over and punch your lights out. That's not necessarily what we need to do. It may be what we want to do. Every parent in here agrees with me, right? Every parent on live feed agrees with me. But what we've got to do is it's not about what I think needs to happen. It's about what God is allowing that as an opportunity to be able to touch somebody else. That person that's trying to teach my daughter how to steal needs somebody in their life to teach them the right way. No, nobody has tried to teach my daughter how to steal, but I'm using that as an example. What we've got to understand is in all of our ways, we've got to acknowledge God, and God will direct our path. What we have to do many... I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be dad one more time. We've been in pastoral... I've been in pastoral since I was 19 years old. Me and Sister Carrie has been married for 18 years. We've been in pastoral every since. Our daughter is 15 years old, so that's all life she knows. And I'm going to tell you something. Thank goodness not many at Coosa Valley is like this. And matter of fact, most are not like this. 99.9% at Coosa Valley are not like this. But there are church folks, and it has happened to us in church, people will be ugly at my daughter. I'm going to tell you something. It's very hard for daddy to let pastor take the reins for that. It's hard. Ain't nobody at Coosa Valley been mad at my, at mean and ugly at my daughter, thank goodness. But what we've got to understand is simply this. The church world is full of mean folk. If we allow what we think needs to happen to overwhelm our lives, we've got to think highly of what God has directed for us to do. God's word in our lives needs to be the road map and we've got to fulfill what God wants us to do. So to that end, let's take a look at Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. Mark chapter 12, look on at verse 30. And you shall love, your love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
You know, my English teacher would critique this. She would say, no, nah, we need to take the and out and put a comma there. It says, and you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, comma, with all your soul, comma, and with all your, str- uh, comma, with all your mind, comma, and with all your strength. She'd take out all those, all those ands. But I think that God had them there on purpose because God wanted us to realize we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do this and we got to do we can't pick and choose we got to do all of them we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart all our soul all our mind and with all of our strength go on and look at verse 30 or excuse me 31 it says the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these two. Mark's 12th chapter shows the religious leaders. Boy, that's like a bunch of church folks, ain't it? You ain't doing it like I say you should do it. You ain't doing it like I was taught. You ain't doing it like I think you should do it. So therefore, you must be wrong. I told, Remember what I told you just a moment ago, how there are church leaders, there's pastors, evangelists, preachers, all of those that they get themselves on a high horse And if you're not doing it like I say you need to do it, you're wrong. Well, guess what? Jesus is talking to those religious folks in chapter 12. Chapter 12, Mark, the religious leaders, those church leaders, were trying to discredit Jesus, the Son of God. I mean, think about this. I'm not saying I like Bill Gates, but think about it. It'd be like somebody going to Bill Gates and telling him he built the computer wrong. I mean, I just don't think that that's how that works. You go to, what's his name, Jobs, that created Apple. Steve Jobs. You know, you like going to Steve Jobs and saying, you did this wrong when you created Apple. But what we've got to understand, I'm an Android and my PC person, so. Anyway, but it's like going to these people, okay, Brandon drives a, 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 a big old crane. I forgot they moved him closer. And it'd be like me that's never stepped into a crane going to Brandon saying, you're doing it wrong. He'd probably thump me out of the cab and say, get on, boy. But what we've got to understand is these this I'm using those examples to show us the religious leaders was going to the Son of God and saying, Man, you doing this wrong. That'd be crazy. But that's what they was doing. And they was trying to use his own words against him. In the parable of the vineyard, Jesus confronted the hostility that they had towards him. And clearly showed the consequences of their actions. That's verses 1 through 12. The Pharisees combined religious, religion and politics. The Pharisees, that's those religious leaders, they combined religion and politics. I'm going to stop and I'm going to use this as a moment to say this. I am so sick and tired of people thinking we got to be politically, politically correct in church. I want to be biblically correct, not politically correct. Amen? And how do I know that this is what we need to do? Well, Jesus showed us this because the Pharisees, verses 13 through 17, 
The Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day was combining religion and politics and they proposed a problem concerning allegiance toward God or the state. Jesus answered their question with great ease. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Before I give you Jesus' answer, many of you already know it, but before I give Jesus' answer, I want you to understand. I am proud I'm an American. I'm proud that I live in a nation that I know that I'm free. And I'm proud of the United States of America. However, I'm a Christian first and foremost. Amen? And anything that, as far as America is concerned, laws or anything like that, that goes against the Word of God, I choose Christ first. Now, knowing that, the religious leaders was proposing a problem about combining religion and politics. Look at what Jesus' response was. Give the things that belongs to the government to the government, and the things that belong to God, give it to God. All of us pay taxes. Does any of us like it? Nope. Don't like it in the least. If they didn't pay taxes, boy, look at all the money we would have. But what we've also got to understand is I don't give I don't give reverence to the government that I'm supposed to give to God. I give the taxes to God, I get or to the uh, government, I give the taxes to the government. I give my tithes and offerings to God. I obey the laws of the land and in as much as they don't contradict the word of God. But I give my reverence and honor unto God. Yes, those that holds an office in our government, I show respect to them, to the office, to the office. But I'm going to show reverence and honor unto God. I'm not worshiping the government. I worship God. This is what Jesus was telling us in verses 13 through 17. Next, in, in, uh, coming up through from 18 up through 24, the Sadducees confronted Jesus about the resurrection. Look at what he says. They totally rejected the reality of the resurrection. And Jesus attacked their ignorance by telling them they know, they neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. So basically, it was like them saying, you know what, I don't think these things are going to happen. I don't think God is powerful enough. I don't think God is strong enough. I don't think God is wise enough to do these things. That's basically what people were doing. That's basically what people was telling Jesus Christ. Here Jesus Christ is. He walked around. He laid hands on the sick and they recovered. The blinded eyes was open. The deaf ears was hearing. The dumb was talking. The dead was raised. And they was telling Jesus, ah, oh, these things can't happen. Another expert of the law approached Jesus in verse 28 with a better attitude than those that had previously spoken. This one was impressed in the manner in which Jesus had answered those questions. 
Most of the religious leaders believed that there were 613 individual commandments in the law. 365 are positive and 248 or 365 are negative and 248 were positive. They considered some of them more important than others. So this man in verse 28, he approaches Jesus and he says, which one is the most important of them all? Of the 613, which one is the most important? Many today believe that he was that this gentleman in verse 28 was asking about the Ten Commandments. But what we've got to realize, there was 613 that man had laid down. That man was telling the church they had to follow. The only commandment I tell, tell everybody in, in this church is, don't walk through the mud and come on the carpet. <laughs> Help me keep things clean. So they, the man comes to Jesus and says, which of these 613 are the most important? Jesus answered in verse 30 and says, Love the Lord thy God. Then he also goes and he tells them in verse 31, Then love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with all of our heart, to love him is to love Him from the control center of our being. People talk about, let's look at, let's put 30, 30 back up. What, guys, what do you tell your wives at times? I love you with all my heart. If you hadn't done that, you may need to. And why do we say our heart and not our kidney? I'm going to tell Sister Carrie, I love you with all my kidney. It just doesn't mean the same, does it? I love you with all my liver. If I was to go up to Sister Carrie, Brother Larry, and say, you make my liver quiver, what would she, she'd probably, she'd look at me awful funny. But we say, <laughs> what we've got to do is, what we've got to see in this verse, in verse 30, is we've got to see that, that God was telling them, you've got to, Jesus was telling them, you've got to love God with the very center being of, what, of who we are. We've got to love God with the center control of everything we have. When we say in here to love God with all of our soul means to love Him with our will and our feelings. Our soul is what drives us. Our soul is after something. There's a void in our soul at times and we need to fill it with the love of God. To love God with our soul is to love God with our will and our feelings. To love God with our strength is to love Him with the physical power of our being. Loving God with our mind is to bring our thoughts into harmony with His thoughts. Nothing less than this is loving God. When we look at verse 30, 
We need to love God with everything we've got. Every hair on our head or lack thereof. We need to love God. The second commandment tells us, and it's taken from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, as well as Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 8, says to love our neighbor in the same way we love ourselves. What what necessarily does that mean? Verse 31, what necessarily does that mean? Well, I've loved myself enough that I'm going to go, that I can go down to the uh, Pell City Coffee Shop. They're watching this. I expect a free fudge on that. Go down to Pell City Coffee Shop. I love myself enough that if I'm going to take a road trip, I can go in there and buy me a piece of fudge. Why? Because I like it. Loving our neighbors ourselves is bringing some of that home and letting Sister Carrie have part of it. What we've got to do is we need to quit thinking about just ourselves and think about those that are around us. I've seen many people get something and they're not going to share. Now, if you get a cold, I don't want you sharing it. You can keep that sickness. Give it to somebody else. I don't want that. But what we've got to do is we have got to, it's more about not thinking about just what I like, what I want, but it is a thinking about what everybody else is wanting. Now, I got a coat on. I'm active. I'm moving. And so I get a lot warmer than everybody else. I would like the air on 65. Now, some others in here might would want it on 65. But we've got to think about others that may be here that don't like it that cold. We've got to get a good compromise. That's the same thing it is about this. When we talk about painting the church, we ain't, we ain't painting the church again, y'all. We've already painted, okay? But it is about listening to others' opinions and everybody come together as a group and saying, this is what the group wants to do. It's not about pushing our own agenda, but a listening to others that are around us. Love is the goal that God wants us to go in. You that are yourselves imperfect, no love is your end. All things else are but a means. Choose such means as leads you to love. Everything that we do, we need to allow that to lead us to love. Amen? So let's, take, let's go on. Let's take a look at how we were created to acknowledge and worship God. We were created to acknowledge and worship God. Take a look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. We're going to start reading from there. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His his invisible attributes, namely His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Verse 21, For although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22. Claiming to be wise. They sound like a bunch of church folks today. Religious leaders today. They claim to be wise, but they are fools. Verse 23. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Remember a while ago, way back, beginning of this, I said, I'm not here to worship nature, but we need to take care of the things that God's created us. Well, when we start, when we start replacing God with that oak tree out back, guess what? There was another oak tree there. Guess what happened to it? It got cut down. Guess what happened to it? It got gone. Guess what happened to a lot of this other stuff back here? It got burnt down. Guess what? God can't be cut down. God can't be destroyed by fire. God is eternal. Amen? Paul tells us here in these remarks in the first chapter of Romans, I am not ashamed, he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to first the Jew and to also the Greek or the Gentile. In this verse, the apostle Paul declares the gospel of Christ as the source of God's power to free mankind from the bondage of sin. He shows Human race is under the wrath of God and helpless to do anything about it except to fall under grace and mercy of God. We often think of the wrath of God as something that's going to happen at a future date or at a future time. But it is also a divine exercise that may be manifested in our present time today. Therefore, throughout history, God has revealed His wrath against evil. His judgment has been directed to those who live an unrepented and wicked life. While God loves the sinner, God wants us to love the sinner. God also longs for salvation in the sinner's life. Guess what? We all were sinners. And God longed for salvation to be in our lives just like God longs for salvation to be in your neighbor's lives, in your co-workers, in some of your family that is not saved. God longs for that and we need to long for that as well. Those under the wrath of God because of their wickedness, there is so much knowledge about God that is seen in the works of creation. But those that are under the wrath of God because of their wickedness know the truth but deny the power of who God is. There are so many. They know the truth of God but they deny the power of who God is. Let's take a look at the definition of an atheist. An atheist is one who looks through the telescope and tries to explain all that he cannot see. I've often wondered, if an atheist does not believe in God, why do they fight so much against what they do not believe? I personally, some of you may, I'd love to talk to you after a while, 
I personally do not believe the lost next monster exists. He may. He may not. Never seen him. I don't believe he's there. Read a lot of things. I don't believe he exists. Why would I create a group that if anybody believes in the lost next monster, then I am going to fight against them. That's what the definition of the atheist is. They're fighting against what they don't believe. I don't believe that I got a million dollars in my pocket. I'm not fighting against it. But I'm expecting it to receive it. Let's go on real quickly to verse 24. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. In, in addition to widespread immorality, the people of, the Rome, of Rome were guilty of worshiping the creation rather than the creator. They was doing the things that they thought was right in their own eyes instead of what was right in the eyes of God. 